Hello, friends. This is Grace Hot Pants Langhine with your 10th episode of the Mullet Chronicles. This is the podcast where I read race reports to you word for word. It's a spinoff of the Running Mullet podcast where Eric Kosak and I talk about all things running from the business in the front of the pack to the party in the back of the pack. And so these are race reports from the front and the back. And I tell you, I've been saving this race report for episode number 10 because today's episode comes to us from the idiot runner himself, my co-host and my very good friend, Eric Kosek. Eric may be fun and silly on the podcast and on the social medias, but he is an accomplished ultra runner at the front of the pack. So I'm happy to read and, and share his story of running the Tahoe 200. He breaks it down aid, by aid station by aid station. So I am going to channel my inner idiot runner and dive right in. This is Eric's story. Eric Kosek, 2018 Tahoe 200 race report, Lake Tahoe, California. Pre-race morning. Jason Dworsky, Becky, my daughters, and I show up for the pre-race check-in at 7.30. Race begins at 9. I get my bib and my spot tracking device and head over to the van and get prepared. As soon as the clock hits 8, my nerves hit the roof. With all my gear on, I basically paced back and forth from one side of the parking lot to the other for the next hour. I have never been so worked up pre-race in my life. At 8.50, it's time. The usual send-offs of hugs, kisses for the wife and girls, and fist bumps for Jason and others in the event. My emotions are fired up. It's time to go. 9 a.m., the gun goes off. The first three to four miles of the course is directly up the Homewood ski slope. Up one long section, make a turn, and continue to keep going up. It seemed like forever. Everyone was power hiking at this point. It didn't feel like I went out too fast, but I look behind me and there is the one and only Courtney DeWalter with her Solomon camera crew 100 yards away. Realizing that me being in first with the best ultra runner behind me is probably not the smartest start for a 200 miler, but we all continue to climb. At the top of the climb, an easier pace is settled into, and Courtney catches up to me. As we run together and chat, I am astonished that I, Eric Kosek, am running with arguably the best ultra-distance runner in the United States. We roll into Stephen Jones, the first aid station, at mile 10 together at about 10.30, about an hour earlier than what we had estimated. My crew, Jason and Becky, are there Uh, but are caught off guard a bit. Apparently running and chatting with an icon will speed you up a bit. Courtney is in and out of the aid station in about two minutes. This would be the last I see of her. I'm still feeling fresh, so I don't take long either. I stock up on food and water and head out. Stephen Jones aid station to Tahoe City aid station, 20 miles. After a short section of road, the next 20 miles consisted of long, demanding climbs, followed by breathtaking views, and then repeat. A mile from the aid station, I could feel my ears start to plug, which I've never had a problem with before. At this point, the sun was shining, and I quickly realized that my three 16-ounce Solomon soft lasts were not enough to go all 20 miles. 
Between the extremely dry air, the sun temps, and no stream crossings, it was realized that rationing my water was going to be necessary for at least this section. As I continued on, both ears plugged completely, and no matter how hard I tried, they just wouldn't open. It felt like I had earplugs in and also had a little dizziness because of it. Coming into Tahoe City Aid Station at mile 30, I felt horrible. My crew sat me down and immediately started tending to my needs, and I tell them about my plugged ears. I refused to go any further until they opened. They start giving me ideas to pop my ears, but nothing worked. Finally, the nurse mentions eardrops, and luckily there's a grocery store across the road. So Jason literally runs over and gets some drops. After my longest aid station stop ever of over an, of an hour and a half, my wonderful wife pushes me out the door. Looking back, my crew said I drank a ton at that aid station. So it was likely that I came in dehydrated also. Tahoe City Aid Station to Brockway Summit Aid Station, 20 miles. I leave Tahoe City Aid Station in the late afternoon, still feeling like crap. This was the closest I have ever been to dropping out of a race, and this wouldn't be the last time my amazing crew would save my race. There's a short road section that connects us with the trail, and as I near the trailhead, look behind me and see a runner. At this point, I just ran 20 miles alone, and I was feeling lonely, so I asked the runner if he would like some company for a while, and he said sure. I immediately felt great again, sent a quick text to Becky telling her that things were better and she was relieved. Jeff and I power hiked, shuffled together for most of the next 20 miles. His very fast power hiking felt like a perfect pace to conserve muscles for a race of this distance, so I forced myself to stay with him. The conversation we had made the miles fly by much faster, and the cool evening temperatures felt amazing. We came into Brockway Summit Aid Station pretty late Friday night, maybe around 9 or 10, and I was thrilled to meet Liz Bernstein. She's an amazing California girl who would pace me later in the race, starting at mile 102, still a ways to go. I get stocked up with food and water and ate a hamburger. It wasn't known yet, but hamburgers would become my go-to aid station food for the rest of the race. Jeff happened to be seated next to me at the aid station, so we both decided to head out together once again, especially since the next section would be completely overnight. Brockway Summit Aid Station to Tunnel Creek Aid Station, 15 miles. We ran together for a good part of this section. Because it was dark, moving was slow. I wasn't really concerned with speed at this point, just wanted to keep moving and not hurt myself at night. About six miles before Tunnel Creek Aid Station, there was an amazingly steep and long power line descent into Incline Village. Between the dry, unstable ground, being nighttime and tired legs, this descent seemed to go on forever. It was about a full mile of quad busting downhill. At the bottom of the power line, the course breaks out onto a paved road and heads through Incline Village for about five miles. Although the hard pavement didn't feel great, I was still able to hold a pretty good pace. This would also cause me to lose Jeff from this point. We would see each other quite a bit throughout the remainder of the race, though. I came into Tunnel Creek Aid Station, mile 65, around 2 a.m. Saturday morning. Still feeling fairly good rolling into the aid station, but after sitting down and eating some food, I told Jason that I really didn't want to leave. There were not any other runners there, and I knew that next dark section would have to be run alone. 
Jason suggested I try and take my first cat nap in the minivan. After about 20 minutes of rest, I got out and felt much better. Tunnel Creek Aid Station to Spooner Summit Aid Station, 17 miles. What seemed like a repeat of every single aid station, the first four to five miles of the next section was up and up. Still feeling like my power hiking was strong, I climbed up the dirt road and could see headlamps ahead. Unaware at how far ahead they were, I just kept my pace and ended up catching two runners on that climb. That made me feel really good, and knowing that daylight was coming soon lifted my spirits. As the sky lightened, my mind was extremely thrilled to realize I had just happened to be in one of the most perfect parts of the course to see a Tahoe sunrise. It was about halfway down the eastern side of the lake on one of the highest ridges. On one side was a beautiful orange sky with mountain peak backdrops, and on the other was Lake Tahoe. It was absolutely stunning. That will never be forgotten. After the sunrise, I actually video chatted with Stephen Hazlitt and uh, Joseph Mickey for a few minutes as some hills were power hiked. Just seeing and hearing close friends from back home made me happy, but also very emotional. As I approached Spooner Summit Aid Station, I knew that this was the first aid station that crew was inaccessible. Although I could refuel, I could not get to see my people, which sucks. I tried to not let it get to me, and I got in and out of the aid station fairly quick. At this point, it was about 8 a.m. Saturday morning. Spooner Summit Aid Station to Heavenly Aid Station, 20.4 miles. Shortly after leaving Spooner Summit with the sun warming me and halfway up yet another ascent, I decided to try taking a nap on the trail. Laid down against a large tree and it felt wonderful. After about five minutes, felt an ant on my leg, then another and another. There, there were uh, they were too bothersome for me to sleep, so the decision was made to continue on towards Heavenly Aid Station. About halfway to Heavenly, I met up with Sean, who had set the course record last year, so it was nice to have company and chat a little bit. I was looking forward to seeing my people at the next aid station. It would also be where I would pick up a pacer. No more loneliness! I came into Heavenly Aid Station at about 2 to 3 p.m. Saturday afternoon and ate yet another hamburger, with a crap load of ketchup, and the burger count was now three, maybe? Liz was dressed and ready to go. It felt like I should probably try to get a little sleep, so I went inside the building where they had cots set up, but it was too loud to sleep. I got up and went out to the van to try to sleep, but it was just too warm, so yet again, no sleep. I grabbed Liz, and we continued on. Heavenly Aid Station to Armstrong Pass Aid Station, 15 miles. It was absolutely amazing having Liz to run with. It was also really nice that we had never met because it gave us plenty to talk about. At times, it felt like I wasn't talking much, and I really didn't want to, but she did a great job of keeping my mind off the pain. During this section, we commented that it seemed like it was 15 miles of climbing, but looking back, this may have been the most scenic part of the course. After a very long descent, we were within about a mile of Armstrong Pass aid station. It was after dark now, and as we started to descend, we could feel the temperatures dropping. 
The further down we went, the colder it got. When we finally reached the aid station, it was freezing. My poor crew had to stand there extremely cold and wait for us. I felt extremely lucky to have the crew I did. Burger number four went down nice and easy, and then I managed to hop in the minivan and finally get a good half hour nap. Getting out of the warm van into freezing temps was hard, but Liz and I headed out. Armstrong Pass Aid Station to Housewife Hill Aid Station, 17.6 miles. Big surprise. We climbed out of the aid station once again around 11 p.m. Saturday night. We didn't know it at the time, but at the top of this climb was the highest point in the race, somewhere around 9,500 feet. Because of the elevation, Liz started feeling dizzy and sick. We were only about three miles from the previous aid station, so we stopped and discussed our options. She could head back on her own and find a ride, or we could move on in hopes that her condition would improve. I didn't feel comfortable with her going back on her own, nor did I want to go back with her, so luckily she pushed through in hopes that she would get better as we descended. It paid off. After going downhill for a bit, she commented that she was feeling normal again, and we were both relieved. Not sure I could have made it out of that section without her. I was tired. We came into Housewife Hill early Sunday morning, maybe 2 or 3 a.m. It wasn't mentioned to her then, but there were a few times that rocks and trees started to look like things other than rocks and trees. Liz was done running with me at this aid station. At Housewife Hill, another burger went down, uh, number five, I think. Becky and Jason took care of some foot issues and packed my vest up. At this point in the race, there were blisters on my heels and a few toes, but nothing that was slowing me down. The dry sand and dirt was impossible to keep out of my shoes, and it rubbed like sandpaper. Another 10-minute nap in the van, and then headed out on an amazingly short six-mile section with Becky. Housewife Hill Aid Station to Sierra at Tahoe Aid Station, six-ish miles. I had not expected to run with Becky, but Jason agreed to watch my girls, which allowed her to run the short section with me. It may not have been said, but it was really nice having her run a section of the race with me. We came into Sierra at Tahoe Aid Station shortly after sunrise on Sunday morning. I would meet my second pacer, Sarah Larson, here. It was nice to eat a big egg sandwich here when it was actually breakfast time. Socks and shoes were changed, Sarah and I introduced ourselves, and we headed out for a 19-mile section like we have known each other forever. The first part of the section was super runnable. Flat with small rollers, it felt good to open up a little bit. After a few miles, my right knee was feeling a bit tender on the slight downhills, so we decided to take it easy and hope it would get better. Sarah was just amazing. She kept insisting that we were still putting up a great pace for being 150 plus miles into the race. Her positive outlook is the only thing that would get me through the next section. After the nice runnable section, we had to climb up a never-ending Wrights Lake Road. S-turn after S-turn, it seemed to last forever. Sarah insisted that we were doing fine and commented that those behind us would have to do it in the heat of the day. After the forever climb, we reached a five-ish mile of trail that sucked. It was rutted up and was filled with fist-sized rocks. We couldn't run it because it was so it was too uneven, and it was hard to walk because the rocks moved. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, 
we arrived at Wright's Lake Aid Station at about 10 or 11 a.m. Sunday. This was the first of two consecutive aid stations that were crew inaccessible. After a quick blister fix, we got loaded up and were about within 10, uh, out within 10 minutes. At this point, the heat of the midday sun was once again hammering down any positivity and energy that was left in me. Wright's Lake Aid Station to Tells Creek Aid Station, 13.5 miles. This was the first section where I just started to feel dead tired. Sarah did an amazing job at staying positive and trying to get me to run any section that was possible, even if it was only for a few feet. By this point, if she wasn't there, it feels like my race would have been slowed considerably. The next 13 miles seemed to take forever, but we got to Tells Creek Aid Station. I was feeling very tired and had even started hallucinating a bit again. Burger number six down, and then I told Sarah that I just wanted to sit in a camp chair for five minutes. There was a generator running, so trying to sleep was not an option. Knowing the next section was only six miles and that my people were close got me moving again. Off we went. Tells Creek Aid Station to Loon Lake Aid Station, 6.5 miles. It was nearing sundown Sunday night, and I didn't feel nearly as tired as before. But for some reason, my feet started to ache really bad. Sarah continued to do an amazing job at pushing me forward, even if it was a slow crawl. We arrived to Loon Lake Aid Station at about 9 p.m. Sunday night, and the adrenaline started. Loon Lake was mile 180 of the race. 24 miles left. Burger number seven, down the hatch, new socks, and I put on my ultras, which helped my feet considerably. I gave Sarah a big hug and thanked her. This is where Jason would pace me for the rest of the race. We were feeling great. My spirits were high and wasn't feeling tired at all. We headed out of Loon Lake around 9.30 p.m. with visions of the finish line. Little did I know at that point that over the next 17 miles, the severe lack of sleep over the past three nights was going to affect me like the best worst drug in the world. Loon Lake Aid Station to Barker Pass Aid Station, 17 miles, the good part. It started out great. We were cruising along up a gentle grade for a few miles, catching up on what happened thus far and getting to know we are in the home stretch. But the next part gets really hazy. I remember going from dirt trail to starting to run on pure rock. My legs were feeling good, but definitely my mind was definitely starting to feel tired at this point. After a few more miles, maybe, I told Jason that I was feeling groggy. The next thing I remember is that we are in the middle of this huge, dry, dusty boulder field. Jason has his phone out and is using it to go from one trail marker to the next. It seemed like sort of a game or a challenge to me. I asked him, what are we doing? And obviously he told me we were running a race, but none of it made sense. And I'm sure he realized I was starting to lose it at this point. He made me lay down and take a nap in hopes that I would wake up feeling better. Well, after an unknown length of time, we were up and moving again. 
He kept saying my only job was to just follow him, which was fine, but in my delirious state, I was also agitated. It felt like I had already ran the Tahoe 200 race, but didn't remember the finish for some reason. Why was Jason out here making me play this stupid game slash challenge? To add to my delirium, it was the middle of the night and temps were dropping super fast with winds starting to pick up. All I could think about in my head is that I'm an outdoors type person. Why would we have not dressed appropriately to be out here playing in hypothermia type weather? Who would wear running shorts and a light windbreaker in below 40 degree temps? As Jason pushed on, I kept stopping in the middle of the trail and just standing there. He would come back and try to assure me, I didn't believe him, that he would get us out and that I just had to trust and follow him. At times, I was completely convinced that he was making three left turns and just going in circles. After what seemed like an eternity of me stopping, getting mad, him getting me to move, and me asking questions, we were finally getting close to the aid station. This is where I decided I didn't need my $150 hiking poles anymore, so I did what I thought anyone would do. I placed them on the side of the trail and kept going. When Jason stopped and went to go get them, I insisted he just leave them. I just couldn't figure out why he wouldn't let me just sit down and relax while he goes and gets a car or bike to come pick me up. Why, Jason? Why? At about 4 a.m. Monday morning, we miraculously made it to the last aid station, Barker Pass. Not even a word was said to Becky. I just crawled in the van and fell asleep for an hour. Barker Aid Station to finish seven miles. Sound asleep in the back of the van, Becky opens the hatch. She asks if I'm ready to run. After a brief second of confusion, my brain realizes what's happening and I jump out of the van. My body and mind feel great and back to normal. She informs me that the 10th place runner just headed out about 10 minutes ago and I freak out. How could she let that position go without waking me up? I grab my vest, yell at Jason that we're leaving, and start running up the hill. He tells me to go and that he'll catch up. Now, this is no ordinary hill. Think straight up a mountain with five to 10 switchbacks, and I am running, not hiking, not jogging, but 198 miles into a race, running. Unbelievably, Jason catches up, and I am just astonished. After every switchback, we look ahead, but no runner. We finally reach to the top of the mountain where the trail breaks out into a breathtaking view of ridges and valley, and there he is. The 10th place runner is just ahead. We continue running hard, and by the time the runner hears us, we are practically by him. We say a quick good work and continue on. We now have about one more mile of uphill, followed by pure, steep downhill for the last three miles, the same three that we had to climb at the start of the race. As my adrenaline flows, Jason and I talk about some of what has happened over the last 20 miles, and I also remind him to make sure that I apologize to Becky for blowing up on her as soon as we cross the finish line. As we near the last one-mile descent, my legs feel great, quads are working, and I can't believe I just ran this so, so far. A quarter mile from the finish, we break out into open grass, and there it is, the finish line. We start to hear cheering, but can't distinguish Becky or my daughter's voices yet and fear they may not have made it back in time. Finally, about 100 yards from the finish, we see and hear them. I think we cross the finish line at around a 6.30 pace, and I give my family all the hugs. Tenth place. 
Luckily, I instantly remember to apologize to Becky for freaking out at the last aid station, but she totally understands, which is why I love her so much. Finish line. It felt great to complete such a large challenge. I'm confident that I I would not have come close to finishing had it not been for my amazing crew being there, including my daughters, an amazing wife who 100% supports me with these crazy ideas, and one of my new closest friends, Jason Dworsky, who I literally just met a week before the race. Not only did he help crew with Becky, but he paced me for the last 24 and kept his cool when my marbles were lost. I would not have finished the race and probably have gotten lost if it had if he hadn't have been there. My takeaway from this whole adventure is this. If you never do anything that scares you, then you are never really living. Don't be afraid to attempt the impossible. You never know. You just might surprise yourself. I am completely in debt to my wife, Becky, my daughters, Liz Bernstein, Sarah Larson, and Jason Dworsky. When you achieve something with others helping, it becomes more special than achieving it alone. Thank you, Eric, for sharing your adventure. And you, listener, can submit your race reports to me on Facebook or Instagram or email me at therunningmullet at gmail.com. And you can listen to Eric Kosak and I every Monday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, talking all things running at The Running Mullet. Thank you for listening. You are awesome.